rolling. What's happening, man? Hey, dude. Well, here we are, back in Andy's backyard. It is really pretty out here today. It's a little toasty, but it's pretty. It's, it's officially warm out. I think it's up, up to 90 degrees. Yeah. Even the, on the flight back, the guy was like, whoa, 90 degrees in Nashville. And I was like, come on, brother. It's only May. <laughs> mm. Yeah. So, beautiful day out. Andy just got back from California. Were you in a wedding or did you go to a wedding? No, neither. <clears throat> My sister... Whoops. It's okay. My sister and her husband live in Orange County, California. He plays for the Orange County Football Club. Soccer. Okay, yeah. yeah. Football? Foot, yeah. European football. Uh, we went to a game, though, on, is it Saturday? Um, and he scored the only goal. Wow. It was, it was awesome. So, anyway, we hadn't, you know, uh, they got married here in town. She, you know, she's obviously from here. He's from Orange County, California. They met in school at New Mexico, uh, University of New Mexico. Hi, Jane is our guest again today. She's getting right. She's getting right, getting up, right up in the up mic. On that mic. <laughs> um, so we hadn't seen them since their wedding at the end okay. of 2019, and so they moved out to Orange County. They were living in New Mexico for a while. They moved to Orange County about six months ago, so he could join this team. We went to visit. Oh wow! So. Yeah, we were on the beach like every day that we were there, which was we had, like a ten or fifteen minute drive to the beach. Laguna Beach is unreal, mm-hmm. and we thought yesterday we were on the beach for like six hours. We thought that that beach would get like crowded, like stupid busy, kind of like the Gulf does. If you've been in the Gulf, it's like crazy busy. Not at all. I mean, wow. it's busy enough. Like there are people, but like yeah. you had plenty of space. We, my sister's got two dogs. We brought the dogs with us, cooler beer, and just hung out by the ocean for six hours it's great it's gorgeous it's, Love it, man. it's beautiful out there it's like unreal so anyway yeah the last time i went out to california was for our buddy jesse's wedding right and i went out a few days early and spent some time with family out around huntington beach uh unfortunately didn't get to hang out at the beach that much but yeah man california's a cool place i like it it's a cool place man you know my dad's from california he's from the bay area so i have a lot of family out there okay i mm-hmm. did not know that yep. i think you have told me that before but mm-hmm. i'd forgotten yeah man so yeah now that maybe travel is a little bit easier these days maybe i'll have to plan another trip out that or we can go to denver and see our buddy jesse hi jesse he listens to the podcast we can't wait to have you on the show. <laughs> the modern day Cairo, MDC. Yeah, man. Well, hell, I'll, we'll go to Denver, and then I'll go to California. There you go. I Why like not? That. Why not? Why not? All right. So off air, you were telling me about your kettlebell program. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You so want to tell the audience about it. Sure. So I just wrapped up writing. Uh, a book that I am a book and program that I'm calling Kettlebell Foundations and it's a project that I've had on the back burner for a long time you know I've I've sketched it out in various ways over the course of probably the last you know year or so Um, but you know the prospect of writing a user manual for beginners you know obviously centered around kettlebell training 
is a little bit daunting. You know, there's there's so much to go over, and and I kind of had it in my mind to produce a resource that you could give somebody who has no real lifting or fitness background. Okay, so like just getting started. Just getting started. Okay. It, you know, especially over pandemic, lots of people bought kettlebells, lots of people wanted to start working out at home, sure. lots of people getting into fitness for the first time, and a lot of people have just a lot of very, you know, basic needs, basic questions, and they need basic programming, um, but they do need like some detail-oriented instructional material to fill in the gaps right. that otherwise we would take for granted if you're working with a coach, um, you know, in person, you know, stuff like that. So, um, as you may or may not know, <clears throat> I suffered a freak skiing accident three years, uh, three months ago. No way. I did. <laughs> I did. Uh, in two days, it will be exactly three months. And so I found myself with lots of time on my hands, just sitting on the couch. And so I very soon started revisiting those old notes, those old sketches around what would eventually turn into this training manual. So especially when I was home over um, for about three weeks in Virginia recovering, um, I did most of the writing uh, for it, just kind of like the first draft. And over the ensuing uh, month, you know, past month or so, I've been filling in the gaps with editing it, <clears throat> expanding on certain points, cutting certain points out, uh, curating video links, uh, curating photos, um, and doing the actual uh, program. So there's a six-week program that, that goes along with it as well. So, yeah, that is officially launching this week. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm pretty excited. And the advanced feedback that I've gotten from other coaches who I've sent it to has been pretty positive. Okay. So, yeah. So, again, it's geared towards the absolute beginner, and it's something that I wanted to create to, you know, give to clients, both online and in person, just to say, hey, there's probably going to be things that we're going to miss just in the course of day-to-day -day training, and if you have this as a resource, you'll pretty much have everything that you need. And, you know, everybody from, you know, little nephew Johnny to Grandma Betty, if they're just getting into fitness, all they have is a kettlebell or three, and they're like, what do I do with this? And, you know, let's say they live out in the middle of nowhere where there's no in-person coaching to be had. I wanted this to be the next best thing. Okay. I like that. Yep. Kind of filling in those gaps. That's it. Is it have, uh, would it have like video corresponding like components to it? You do a lot of video stuff, and because you, you said it's written. Yep. Is it both? So it's so there's um, there's obviously written instruction, step by step instruction, tutorial stuff, and then there are hyperlinks to various coaching videos, and there's you know the option if you want or need to book like a Zoom technique session. Um, that's certainly an option that you can apply for as well. Well, that's cool. You've covered all your bases. Yeah, trying to, man. Yeah, I'll take a look at it. Yeah. I haven't done anything with a kettlebell in my own training in a while, actually. Mm. Arm injury notwithstanding. Sure. Even before all that. I mean, I, I don't know. What are your top three? I'm not saying that these are your top three in the program that, you're just, that you just described. 
What are your top three kettlebell exercises that you like to teach? I'm glad you asked. Number one is probably got to be teaching the bottoms up hold position. Okay. Like the bottoms up kettlebell. So I did not think you were going to go that way. Yeah. So from the bottoms up, obviously you can do a press, you can just hold it, or you can do a squat, or you can walk around. Sure. But I think just being able to balance a hefty kettlebell in the bottoms up position is one of the most valuable and underrated exercises that you can do. Okay. And it's kind of unique to the kettlebell. It's kind of unique to the kettlebell design. Interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, I mean, the obvious part is, is that it's got great training benefit for rotator cuff, for shoulder strength, general arm and grip strength. That's all great. And it also helps to kind of teach lifters how to be engaged through the whole body, Hmm. you know? And again, that's why I say just the bottoms up hold position, not necessarily like the full bottoms up press. Because if you're just holding a kettlebell bottoms up, just just balancing it is a exercise in dynamic focus. And while you are focusing on being tight through your grip and your arm, I also like to cue different breathing techniques, different, um, you know, engagement cues through the rest of the body, you know, quads, glutes, abs, lats, staying relaxed in the face. And I find that just the the bottoms up environment is a very potent teaching tool for teaching appropriate amounts of tension and how you can control tension. And that's kind of what strength training all comes down to. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So if you can bottoms up clean a hefty kettlebell and just walk around with it, you're pretty darn strong. What were the ones that we were doing that day at the gym? How heavy was that? We did the two the bottoms up. I think those were each 35 or 40 pounds. I think they were 40 I because I think heavier. Yeah. I think gym five only has a pair of 40s, matching 40s. Okay, I think you're right. Oh, I thought it was heavier than that. <laughs> I can I can one arm bottoms up the 53 on my right arm, my post-surgical arm only. I can't do it with the left. It's also mm-hmm. my left hand, so like, it's just not as strong. Right. That's no. sad. Strong, strong sad. sad. I, every time I do that one-arm row at Gym 5 right now with only my left arm, I'm like, left sad, strong sad. One of these days I'll film it. And people laugh. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, because from that movie. <laughs> They're like... Look at, look at little Andy Van over there. We're inspired now. I did pull four plates. I made sure of it because we had talked about it. And I was like, I don't know if it was four. I'm going to throw four on there. And I pulled four. Damn. I was like, I need everyone in here to see how strong I am with one arm. It's pretty good, man. On that on that seated row, right? Yeah. yeah. Four plates. All right. So bottoms up. Bottoms up position is probably number one. Number two would probably be... <clears throat> the swing that, that probably should come as no surprise um, but I think the swing the swing when you really dial it in dial it in um, you know it's one of those exercises that even with the same weight I think you can hit it like kind of like 
it kind of hard and fast and it feels like a sprint Mm -hmm. or you could kind of dial the intensity back a little bit and it feels more like um, a hard run it feels like a run it feels like a jog it feels like a feels like a nice little walk uphill you know what I mean so again once you are really confident and adept at the techniques um, it's all about the subtleties of, of how you approach it but I can say just you know for myself and has been the feedback from a lot of people just doing swings on a daily basis anywhere between like 50 and 150 whether that's as a finisher or as part of your warm-up or just throughout the day you know whatever um, it helps keep you as one of my clients put it it helps you feel like you you get like a thicker stronger backbone in the sense that you can you feel like you're you feel like you're standing taller standing stronger and and I definitely can can relate to that it's just something about the repetitive nature of a dynamic hard hip hinge plus you get all those booty gains plus you get the booty gains mm. so can you recreate that with a light to moderate RDL like with a barbell or even dumbbells I think probably for the most part sure but I do think that the nature of the kettlebell as it travels below and behind you, you know, obviously as you swing a kettlebell through your legs, that just gives a really unique stretch and the stretch reflex with the hamstrings and the glutes. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think it helps, I think it helps keep you loose. I think it helps keep your, your hips loosened and strong. I think I think there's that interesting kind of yin yang kind of component to when you're you're working a muscle through deep ranges of motion in a dynamic way. It helps keep you mobile and strong. Hmm. And so, obviously, when you're swinging, that has big uh, you know impact with that idea on the uh, on the hips there. So, I'm not I'm not one of these guys who thinks you have to swing super heavy or that you have to swing a lot even for that matter, you know? But I think a little bit consistently uh, goes a long way. So I, I think of swinging a kettlebell as just like a, just like a multivitamin. You should probably just take a little bit every day and you'll probably, <laughs> you'll probably be good to go. Hmm. You know, the kettlebell swing and the goblet squat are two routine um, warm-up pieces that I use with a lot of my clients. Ten mm -hmm. swings, five goblet squats, and then either a push-up variation or band pull-aparts or, you know, maybe a TRX row or something. But, if, like, if I need a quick and dirty warm-up sequence, ten swings, five squats, and then whatever else on top of that depends on who I'm working with and what I'm feeling that day. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Swings and squats are often, you know, very much the, the bread and butter of a lot of the sessions I take a lot of my clients through as well. Swing, squat, we'll do some mobility. Swing, squat, do a stretch here, do a core move there. Yeah, yeah, I like that. And I, I do that a lot um, when I can be a little improvisational, like when I'm, when I'm training people in person. I kind of like to take like a, a skeleton of a few exercises or a sequence 
and then like I'll throw other things in the mix or on the tail end of the superset or you know of the sequence just kind of depending on how people are feeling you know that kind of thing hmm. so um, so yeah the kettlebell is pretty handy for that so if you have you know again somebody who just has you know one or two kettlebells this is like a good example hmm. swing squat bottoms up hold planks they're all very you know the, the cool thing about kettlebell training is that you can kind of plug kettlebell exercises into a lot of different workouts a lot of different environments for a lot of different goals and a lot of different styles so now as for a third exercise i mean the goblet squat is definitely up there but the only reason i wouldn't necessarily put that as a top three kettlebell exercise is because I think you can do a goblet squat almost just as well with a dumbbell. Okay. Or a weight plate. Okay. So I'm kind of trying to think of something that's... Just a front-loaded squat. Yeah, front-loaded squat. Sure. So trying to think of something that's a little bit more specific to the kettlebell. And I would say the... So specifically, I'm going to say the... Um, the half Turkish getup. Okay. So, roll to the elbow, post to the hand, up into a high hip bridge, and back down. And again, this is kind of what I write out in, in the book. Um, I think the full Turkish getup sequence is great, you know, lunging all the way up into standing and coming all the way back down. I think that's a fantastic exercise. It's a fantastic sequence. But... I also feel like for the vast majority of people, you get the vast majority of the benefit in those first couple steps. Okay. And when you do like the leg sweep and the lunge, that's where things get really squirrely. People get confused. People get out of alignment. And... That's the thing about the Turkish get-up, and I didn't know this until I did a Strong First user course. Everyone wants the Turkish get-up to stay in the same plane that it starts. Right. So if you if you lay down on the ground, your head's facing north and your feet are facing south, everyone wants to do the Turkish get up and be in that final standing position facing north and south. Right. And it's not that at all. You actually like turn a little bit, not fully all the way east to west, but like you there's like a turn to it. And once I allowed my body to turn outside of that linear plane, and it, it, it's, you know, it makes sense that I would do this or a lot of people do this because a lot of exercises we do stay in the same plane. The Turkish get-up isn't. It's multi-planar. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of people want it to stay single plane, and it's not. It, it ends up twisting and turning a little bit. For that reason, I do like it. It forces people to move outside of their typical, like, plane of motion or whatever. But the half version probably does a little bit of that anyway. Yeah, multiplanar. It's groundwork. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, yeah, groundwork. Shoulder stability, T-spine mobility, hip mobility. So, you know, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, and again, just focusing on the bottom half allows people to, I think, get in a lot more volume, a lot more kind of safe time under tension. Again, without having to rack your brain with like doing 
doing the quote-unquote full repetition all the way up and all the way down. So, yeah, especially when you're, when you're working with beginners, most of the general public, if you can get that diagonal roll. It's actually funny that you mentioned that, like, you know, talking about, like, working in, like, sagittal plane versus maybe transverse, transverse or... and kind of turn around. It's funny when you kind of look at, like, the relationship of the, the torso and hips a little bit with the get-up. Because obviously you set up, you're flat on the ground. So you could say that you're, quote-unquote, straight. Then you roll diagonally up to your elbow. Then your torso is pointing diagonally. Mm-hmm. Then you post up to the hand, and you're in a tall seated position, and your torso re-squares up. Mm-hmm. Then you do a hip bridge, and your torso and hips again travel back to that diagonal angle. Mm-hmm. So when you roll through that half getup back and forth, back and forth, you're constantly going from squared up to diagonal, squared up to diagonal, through different levels on and off the ground. So that's that's another thing that kind of makes it a little cool. And the reasons that I say that, again, you could do a Turkish getup with any implement, but again, thinking about uh, how you're holding the kettlebell as it rests on the back of the forearm, mm-hmm. again, that's that's one of the positions where the kettlebell has a unique stimulus to the arm and to the shoulder because technically that center of gravity is below and behind your hand as opposed to perfectly centered across it as it would be like in a dumbbell right so that has a lot of um yeah that has that has a unique kind of pull that it that it you know that happens through the uh, through the arm there so bottoms up position the swing and the Turkish getup, those are kind of like, you might say, are also correspond to the three kind of unique positions that you can use a kettlebell in. Hmm. With the swing, you've got the dynamic motion where you're just holding it regular, but it's obviously traveling between your legs. Um, so that's kind of like one position. The other unique position is the bottoms up, which you can do a lot of fun stuff there. And then the other position is just the, you know, kind of traditional get-up or press position where the bell is resting on the back of the forearm. So get-up kind of also kind of encompasses like your general pressing, you know, pattern there as well. Hmm. So those would be my top three. Okay. I like those. Yeah. I used to coach the Turkish get-up a lot more than I do now. Um, I do, if, if you're pretty good at it, I actually do like using Turkish get-ups as like a conditioning tool. Like grab a heavy kettlebell and do four per side or five per side. Now it doesn't have to be fast. Actually, I prefer that it isn't, but I want every step to get nailed and doing five per side when you're being deliberate with every single position takes some time and it wears you out. It will crush your soul and it's just getting up and down off the ground with a weight in your hand. Yep. So it's one of my favorite conditioning tools that I'll, I'll do more often than not. I rarely use it with my clients um, for the same reasons that you're talking. You know, it, it gets a little squirrely. People will rush it. You know, that, that hip bridge gets a little sloppy. You know, they, they're planting their hands all over the place. So it's one of those things that I used to use a lot more, and I haven't in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, man. Yeah, and I mean, you know, to be fair, yeah, you can do a get-up with anything. Dumbbell works. 
Um, I, I'll be curious when I'm a little bit farther along on the healing process. I'll be interested to uh, snag one of your sandbags and try my hand at sandbag get-ups. Just like shouldered. Oh, uh... You have one that's light enough that I can do one? We have, the lightest one that I own is 67 pounds. The best way that I could think that you could do it would be to one arm like hug it. Because you gotta keep it close. And then do the same motion so it's not going to be overhead. It's going to be like almost like in the half rack position or the rack position, basically. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Ugh. I've seen people do it on the internet. That's, that <laughs> sounds brutal. I've never done one myself. Yeah, that so. sounds brutal. I bet you could do it, but that 67 would be pretty tough. But it's also on your ch- You know, I'm sure you could do the 62 overhead. So mm-hmm. the 67, like, to chest, other than it being bulky and kind of, like, you know, squirrely in its own way. That might actually be kind of fun. Doing yeah. like a Turkish get up with a, like, oh, oh, okay. That's, these are probably the things I should be doing, uh, especially once I start getting back to jujitsu. Yeah. Getting used to managing a weight on top of me. Yeah. Well, and then when you're ready, I've got the 117. And then when you're ready, I've got the 200. You just drop it on I'm me. I'm just going to lay the 200 on you and be like, all right, Zach, get up. <laughs> as fast as possible. Just get up out from under that thing. Oh, that'd be funny. I'm, all right, we'll film that. Yeah, for sure. We'll put that on, on YouTube. Definitely. You're trying to stand up with a 200-pound sandbag. <laughs> That'll be a 2022 goal. Okay. Yeah, I think you and I are both going to be pretty busted through the end of this year. Yeah. Yeah, the surgeon was like... September-ish, and I was like, bro, that's so far away. September-ish for, Before like, they'll cut me loose to, like, do whatever I want to do. To do whatever you want to do. Yeah. Okay. Well. That'll be six months post-op. That doesn't seem too bad for full... Full recovery. Full recovery, full freedom to, like, what, curl weights, mm-hmm. I mean, deadlifts. I'm already curling, like, five pounds right now. I can tell that you're curling five pounds. I know, look how little it is. It's funny. Did you see? I don't think you follow my wife on Instagram. We took pictures at the beach, oh, yeah. and she took two pictures, and one happened to be on one side, and the other was on the other side. And so you can just swipe back and forth and see my big arm versus my little arm. It's crazy. If it's any consolation, you don't realize how big your left arm is. You really don't until you compare it to your other side. So it, I actually want to use this as a backdoor compliment to your your arm development there well thank you no it is pretty wild it's one of those things and i think we've talked about this on the podcast like it's wild when you work out all the time and you're like god like i'm just not that big and then you let one arm atrophy completely and you're like oh so this is what i would look like if i didn't train like i train i get it now we should uh, have a side by side your arm and my calf i think we ought to you're still in your scooter. I'm, I, I'll be wearing my little my thing in the gym. You know, the surgeon was like, "You're only like ten or fifteen percent healed." Really? Yeah. And I'm how many weeks? Eight weeks post-op. So yeah, and then I flexed on the plane. I was dreaming about working out, and I flexed on the plane. It hurt. <laughs> I was dreaming about working out. Yeah. So um, now I was thinking about this in a second ago. You're talking about. Like a, almost like a warm-up sequence. You know, you and I have talked about this, not on the podcast, but I'm curious your, 
approach. What I've started doing, I'm going to try to explain this, and I feel like you and I are going to get it, but I don't want it, the, it to go over the heads of our audience. Um, and I, there's a two-parter to this. So what I started doing, like what I had been doing for a long time was, let's say 10 swings, five squats, you know, um, I like actually, let's say like a push-up, but instead of, let's say 10 swings, five squats, 10 push-ups, um, or some variation of that. 10 swings, five squats, five push-ups, you know, band pull part, whatever. But when I was, and obviously like the point of the warm-up was to like grease the groove, get blood moving, get a little out of breath, start like warm up. And then, and then we close that down and we move into our main lift stuff like squats, deadlifts, bench, or whatever. Now, a lot of people that I work with can move some weight. And so once we moved over to the squat or bench or dead, then it was another warm-up sequence of, mm. you know, 135, rip for 10, 155 or 185, rip for 10, 205, rip for five or six, whatever. We had to ramp up to our working sets. So there's this warm-up ramp, then working sets. I think that's a fine approach. And, and I have the luxury of working in a gym, and this is the part two. I have the luxury of working in a gym where I can do whatever I want whenever I want to do it. Now, gym five, you and I have both been there. You don't really get the superset much over there. Right. Like, you basically do the one thing, and then you, you move on. But you can really only do about one exercise at a time. It just the, the room doesn't really allow for it. So, again, my situation is a little bit different. But what I started doing is, and I've been doing this throughout the entire workout, instead of having a warm-up sequence that we start with and then wrap up and then go to, like, our A series of, like, let's say bench and dead that we warm up and then wrap up, and then go to our B series, which might be like some, you know, auxiliary or assistance exercises or whatever. Instead of doing like warm up A series, B series, I've started blending those lines. So like, for example, let's say, you know, we're going to do bench and dead as our primary major movers today's workout. I'm still going to have you swing squat, pull apart or swing squat, TRX row or swing squat, push up. But what I'm going to do is also have you go, let's say swing squat, TRX row, warm-up bench press, warm-up trap bar. Swing squat, TRX row, warm-up bench press, warm-up trap bar. And then by the time we get to the third, through the third round of that, we're, we're close to, if not at, working weight for bench and dead. So now it's not, we're not burning any more time. Well, maybe we, we've already, I'm just shifting the time around, I guess. But what I'm doing is I'm adding those warm-up sets of our major movers to the warm-up stuff that wasn't necessarily the actual stuff we were going to be doing. And then the same thing, as we're wrapping up that A series, let's say bench and dead, and let's say I've got, you know, a row variation and a split squat as like a B series. I will also start to ramp those at the end of our top sets of bench and dead. So like in the middle of bench and dead, we're just doing those two things. But maybe by the third set, we're going to tap a couple warm-ups of these other things because they're not interfering really like a warm-up row and a warm-up split squat isn't going to really interfere with a trap bar dead and a bench press for most of my people who just want to move a lot of weight burn a lot of calories lean out whatever they're not power lifters i'm not worried about interfering with their performance i think what it's done is it's created a little bit of a novel experience in terms of like 
this blend of these exercises so that you do get the major movers, the meat and potatoes of the program, and you get the meat and potatoes of like the assistance or, or accessory lifts or whatever. But I'm blending it. It's almost like managing time a little bit better. And so it allows us to move with a little bit more tempo. Again, going back to the goals of move some weight, burn some calories, feel good, whatever. I think it's a better time management approach for my clients where we can get a lot of density in without being like, okay, great. Now that that third set's done, now we got to warm up this other thing again. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it works like that. You know, people, if, especially if people are going to pull a top set of trap bar dead, they're going to be pretty worn out. So they'll, they'll welcome a light warm up set of the next thing. Right. But if I'm trying to manage time and space and resources well, I've been trying to do this thing where I blend these these series or sequences together a little bit more so that we can get some pretty dense and effective workouts in. Yeah, I think that's very smart. I think it's very smart. And I think overall, you know, for most people, that's the best way to go about it because I th- I think there's a I think there's a lot of value in like strength training with with a little bit of fatigue and with a little bit of novelty in the sense of like okay it might be might be deadlift day or or maybe in your example deadlift and bench day so it's like okay so really what we're talking about is a total body training session right because by the time you warm up and do accessories for deadlift warm up do accessories for bench you've hit pretty much everything and so I, i do think that's a very smart way to train um, if you have the you know the right time management and equipment management skills to hit two big lifts a day, I think I think that's great. And from a quote unquote functional standpoint, I think that's really good for the client because you're not you know you're not proving your strength in a like vacuum that that wouldn't have like real world application. Mm-hmm. So I think I think it makes a more well-rounded lifter, a more well-rounded athlete. Well, and to that point too, like you know, one of the things that I can accomplish in this approach and not and you know, again, there's some nuance to this. It's not a perfect way of doing things. What I can accomplish with doing this is I keep people moving. Now, early on, if like let's say they're a new client, early on, they'll probably be pretty gassed. And their top level strength is not going to be great. And their technique might not be awesome because they're fatigued. But what what we can do is sort of build capacity, like sort of like, for lack of a better word, sort of cardiovascular capacity so that we can start cramming this density in. So in other words, if I get them out of breath and kind of keep them like, I'm going to say, I'm going to say tempo. I'm going to say like pace or have, they're not moving fast, but there's like a deliberate movement from one thing to the next thing. It's like, and so now tell them, I'm like, we're not going not gonna to move fast, but I want it to be tempoed. I want, I want some like deliberateness to like how we move from A to B to C or whatever. End up being a little bit gassed, but eventually what we get is this sort of endurance ability to handle that kind of volume and that load and technique improves and more weight comes along with it for the ride. So we're kind of checking a lot of boxes here. I won't say it's a, it's a cardio workout or cardiovascular workout or even high-intensity interval training because I'm not doing that, but it's almost by accident. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grab another fitness attribute quality that I'd like to have, 
by just the way that like I'm approaching things, and mm-hmm. especially with my people who are going to be end up lifting probably in that eight to fifteen reps range, ends up working out pretty well because we can move the needle, add plates to the bar, move with a little bit of purpose and tempo without so much um, fatigue that top level strength because it's not really top level strength is diminished or there's like a risk like a safety risk right. we're well below that threshold of like safety is questionable mm-hmm. so um i don't know it's just been a slightly different approach to like a classic you know warm-up sequence you know your a1 a2 sequence your b1 b2 or whatever however you organize that it, it's taking those lines those definitive lines that separate out all those exercises and blurring them a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, it also takes a little bit of finesse to make sure that, again, you're not inter- like interfering. So, like for example, I wouldn't have someone barbell row while also doing trap bar deadlifts because right. it's essentially the same hinge pattern with blown up like grip strength. Right. So I for sure know that those two would interfere with each other. Yeah. Yeah, man. These are the things that ideally you learn from years in the trenches working with a lot of people, working with a lot of people who are making progress and you want to continue to progress the training with their strength. But, you know, do it in a way where you're not, you know, bottlenecking yourself into just heavier and heavier weight, which is the theme of our conversation in podcasts past. So, yeah, I I very much found myself, you know, doing that, you know, kind of like how I mentioned a lot of times when I'm training people in person, I have like a scaffold of the things that, you know, kind of like the quote-unquote working sets I want to accomplish. But everything that goes around it is kind of like jazz. It's improvisational. Mm-hmm. And it it kind of goes based on how people are feeling and how they're feeling throughout uh, the workout. And just like new things that kind of come to me off the top of my head, like, oh, your shoulders tight we haven't done this drill in a while we can pair this with that and these are things that we can kind of you know use as um you know what's what's that old example you put the big rocks in the jar first Mm -hmm. then you fill it with sand same kind of thing if we go into a session knowing what our big rocks are and, and we prioritize prioritize those we can fill in the gaps with with lots of stuff and that's that's what makes it a robust, density-packed, effective training session. Uh, the tricky thing that I sometimes struggle with is how you get that across in a written program for clients online, distance clients, that kind of thing. Mm. So a lot of times my... Uh, my program templates can look a little, uh, you know, can just like look like a scroll of, of exercises, not necessarily because it, it is like this long, like weird slog, but rather I kind of look at it as like Tetris. Hmm. We've got, we've got all these little blocks and we're just, we're just fitting them in. So, um, I can get carried away with that sometimes. Sometimes I'm just throwing stuff in there for the novelty of it. But, um, yeah, because, you know, there's even things that, like, I'll do in a workout where we'll just do it. We'll just do it once. We'll just do once. We'll just do one stretch one time. You know, we'll do one band, 
move or some mobility drill or something like one time and it's like it's worth doing but then when you're writing a program for somebody is it worth writing down one time mm. so so this is where like when you get into like programming where, where you're taking yourself out of the room so to speak you have to be really strategic with what exercises you're prescribing in kind of what order so that you can kind of make do with the limitations of not not being there right i like that word improvisational almost like jazz because i'm the same way where i i know my big rocks for the people that are some programs i have written like really dialed in and some of them i don't i just i i know what they're capable of and so i have my big rocks already figured out now all the sand will depend on you know what they like what they're feeling today, if they're hurting, if they didn't sleep well, if, you know, this or, you know, whatever reason, I can sort of fill that sand in however I want to do it. But yeah, like I'll have clients come in and I'm like, I know today we're going to do a double leg hinge and a single leg squat and, you know, a push pull and maybe a vertical push. And I'd like to carry some stuff or roll around on the ground or swing some stuff or whatever. But it goes from being like a fairly organized and structured at the beginning program and then it sort of just trickles down from there to see like and at the end when we get to witness witness is fitness i'll just make it up i'm like all right well let's go 10 calorie air dime 10 lap to stand on number 10 carry it down and back in max reps push-ups or whatever whatever mm -hmm. that finisher ends up being and i also and, and you and i can talk about this if you want to i also with witness I call it witness and arm farm. Witness is fitness is like conditioning and then arm farm if you want to sprinkle it in there. This is the part of the workout that I try to give. A, I've been doing this a little bit more over the years. This is the part where I try to give a little more autonomy to my clients. Mm. Um, actually, I do this throughout the workout. So I'll ask, be like, do you, like, especially if they're the kind of people that like don't really, they just want to work out. I'll be like, do you want to, I would like to squat today. Which squat do you want to do? And goblet squat, rear foot elevated split squat, or safety squat, or or something else, you know, whatever. Which ones? What do you think? What What are you feeling? Based on like I don't know how your knees are feeling, your ankles, or whatever. So we're gonna do work, but sometimes I'm gonna give a little bit more autonomy to the client, um, or like if they want to trap bar deadlift or barbell deadlift. I'm like, which one do you feel like pulling today? And then whatever one we pick, let's rock it. Right. So we're gonna work. But I try, I've been giving a little bit more autonomy to the client in certain aspects. Witness is an easy one because I'm like, what do you feel like? Do you want to carry some shit, airdyne, row some stuff, arm farm? And uh, like, and then sometimes, and they'll do this. They'll be like, I don't care. You tell me what I'm doing. I'm like, all right, got you. Bam, bam, bam. Um, it's been a little bit more fun. And, and I kind of like the idea of a little bit more ownership and autonomy on the client end. Um, I've never really polled them and asked like how they feel about this approach, but I would imagine some of them are probably indifferent. Like, I don't care. I'll just do whatever you tell me to do. And I'm like, okay. And then some of them, I think probably enjoy being able to call some shots. Mm -hmm. They're asking me to guide them through an effective program to get them to their goals. But that doesn't mean that I have all the answers all the time. So, and I'll tell people this too, like, I'll, you know, if I write a program, I'm like, if there's anything that we're not doing that you really like and you want to do, let me know. 
or if there's this other variation or this exercise that you've seen that you'd like to add in, we'll do it. As long as this addition doesn't compromise you in some way or compromise these other things that we're trying to accomplish. Like, if you come in and you're like, I want to do 100 burpees, I'm going to be like, I don't know if that's an effective use of our time. I'm not going to say no, no. I'm not going to gatekeep people. But I'll be like, hmm. I am not exactly sure how 100 burpees would benefit this program. We can do it if you really want to. But before we do it, my professional opinion is I'm not sure it's a great addition to this program. Right. But I do, again, try to give a little bit more autonomy. And I'm like, if, again, if there's anything that we're not doing or anything that we've done that you don't, you know, you'd like to see more of, you can ask. Like, I would love for you to tell me that. Because then I, because these are your workouts. Like, I write them, but they're your workouts. So... If you want to swing more kettlebells, and we haven't been lately, tell me. If you want to, you know, learn how to barbell clean, I might refer out because I'm not great at it. But, like, point is, you get what I'm trying to say. I try to give a little bit, shift a little bit more responsibility and ownership to the client. Um, and it also makes me a better coach, too. Yeah, I think that's very important. I think that's very important. And, yeah, like you say, some people will not take advantage of that and that's that's fine to be like nope i'm just here to do whatever it is that you're going to tell me to do right right okay but i think creating those opportunities you know maybe like an 80 20 kind of thing sure like that that old that that feedback loop is very important and that's again what makes the coaching relationship fundamentally special and different from anything else from just, you know, again, just following a program out of a book or a magazine. Um, and, again, like I think we've said before, like a lot of times, you know, uh, programs or workouts will be steered in new, interesting directions, you know, based on someone's feedback that, you know, maybe kind of comes out of left field, you know. So, yeah, all that stuff is good. And this all just goes back into... You know, human nature, because my guess would be that, you know, a lot of people like having, you know, it's like ownership over your, you know, taking some ownership over your training, but also kind of adds a little bit of element of fun. It's like picking your own poison. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, fucking hate the aerodyne, right? Mm, Maybe that means I should suck it up and do it. So, Andy, let's let's finish up with aerodyne today, you know, something like that. Oh, like I have one client, I'll just ask him, I'll be like, you want to air down today? And he'll be like, uh, yeah, let's do it. And I'm like, all right. And if he's like, oh man, I'm not really feeling it. And I'm like, okay, that's cool too. Right. You don't have to air down if you don't want to air down. And my guess is that there's, there's probably a, a somewhat of a different mindset that someone takes in their approach to an exercise when they have picked it. Right. When they've chosen it. It's like... Like, even though, you like, maybe you could say, like, technically, like, you're making them do it, which obviously we're not making anybody do anything. But it's almost kind of like, okay, I, I think it does something special for some people when they voluntarily are taking on an extra challenge that, of course, you as a trainer facilitate. And I think maybe Steve is going to hit that airdyne even harder because he chose it, you know, out of out of his own free will, 
as opposed to if you just said, hey, this is what we're doing. Yeah. You know? Or even, um, maybe not even leave it totally open-ended, but I'll be like, do you want to airdyne or skierd? Right. We're going to do one or the other. You pick, and I'm going to give you the parameters. And so if they're like, uh, I'll, I'll skierd, I'm like, okay, you got 250 on the skierd. Right. Or if they pick airdyne, 10 calories on the airdyne. Um, so yeah, giving them sort of an A, B or A, B and C choice or even totally open-ended. Now again, you're not going to walk in the gym and be like, and me stand there and be like, what do you feel like doing today? Like we're going to have a guideline, a sort of plan, but I'm flexible with that plan. And again, like if people come in like, oh, you know, my ankle's been bugging me. I think one of my clients, like, I think he rolled his ankle last week. So lower body wise, I think that all we did was like body weight lunges. Mm. So we still did work. And we were careful about it. I was like, I just want to see how it feels. But like, if it doesn't, if you don't like it, posting up on the one leg and dragging the other one behind, like on the lunge, if you don't like it, we well, don't have to do it. And I'll, that's another way that I'll sort of shift a little bit of ownership to some of my clients. Is like, we might get into something, and I'll be like, look, if you hate this, we don't have to do it. Like, if it doesn't look good, feel good, you want to do it, then we don't have to. Mm-hmm. We have alternatives. So just tell me. But yeah, there's not anything we have to do. Unless you're a power athlete, and then I'm gonna be like, you kind of have to barbell bench. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> cool, man. I think this was a great conversation. I think I think so too. It's good to be back. Yeah. The audience didn't know I was gone, but I was gonna say I. Well, no, you told me that you weren't coming back till late today. I I will say I'm I'm very happy that we got this one in the bank for this week because I think before you texted me I was getting ready to like make dinner and go to sleep so I was in the process of turning my brain Is completely it off those days? It's, it's been a long weekend Okay, it was a long day So did you go work out at Gym 5? no uh uh-uh. were you out of town or no you were in town no I was in town okay yeah cool man well anything fun coming down the pike on your end? uh would you want me to talk about it? Maybe just for a hot minute if you want to. Well, uh, most of my clients know, and so I don't know who might be listening, but I will be opening my own studio space. Um, hopefully in the next couple months. But, like, uh, I'm close to, like, locking in the space. Um, I'll just leave it at that because a lot could happen between now and doing that. But so far it seems favorable that it'll happen. So, yeah, um, I'll be super busy. Um and maybe by the end of the year, we could, could we don't have to because it's on the west side, could be recording podcasts from my new space. Huh. How about that? Yeah, dude. I'd rather go to the brewery, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to have beer in the new space. The, but anyway, there, there will be a space, I, I hope. I'm working on the details as we speak. Cool, man. Well, congratulations. Thanks, dude. Yeah. Congrats on the uh, kettlebell thing. Send it over so I can see it. Yeah, yeah, I for sure will. So by the time this episode comes out, which will be on Friday, um, it'll be on sale at a launch special through uh, June 1st. You have one of those swipe up things? I'll have swipe just, left, right, and center, man. Okay, I'll, I'll share it. Just, yeah. I'll, just remind me. I'll, I'll see it on Friday. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Anything else? No. Off air, we got to talk about next week, though, because of travel. But anyway. That's right. That's right. I'll be out of town. So thank you for listening. Zach and Andy, A to Z, no BS. 
We'll see you next time. Goodbye.